Hello, and welcome to another episode of Rainbow Road. I am your host, Travis Ryans, and joining me is our co-host once again, Mike Deneen. Mike, you're back. I missed you. That's so good to be back. I miss being here, but I'm I'm let's I'm ready to go. Did you enjoy your cottage trip? I did. You know, it was very relaxing. I forget how good time in nature is for the human spirit. So I highly recommend if you have a cottage or a friend with a cottage, or you just know of an abandoned cottage, <laughs> do that. Uh, and hopefully it's not haunted or anything. <laughs> uh, a creepy haunted home. Hmm, that's an interesting thing to be discussing this week. Foreshadow. Yeah, do you want to... Let's let's talk more about creepy haunted homes, but first let's introduce our guests. <laughs> yes, uh, so joining us from the uh, editing booth once again is Matthew Kinnar, our producer. Matt, thanks so much for joining us. Hello, it's me. <laughs> <laughs> Matt, thank you for coming on. We're so happy whenever you want to actually, you know, join the rest of us. Matt is an integral part of our podcast. He makes it so that we sound so much smarter than we are. So we're always glad to have mm-hmm. him out. Oh, shucks. It's not hard to make you sound smarter than you are. Yeah, it's a low bar. It's yeah. a very low bar. Yeah. <laughs> as well as joining us once again from our Slice of Life episode coming back is Mackenzie Easton. Mackenzie, thank you so much. Yes, thank you guys for having me again. I'm super looking forward to it. Awesome. Over the past few weeks on Rainbow Road, we've explored a girl bending space and time to save her town, a man fighting to protect the last hope for humanity, and a soldier trying to save an entire galaxy. Today, we're going to talk about a girl just... Coming home. Gone Home is a first-person exploration game that was released in 2013 by the Fulbright Company, where you play a 21-year-old Katie Greenbrier who is returning home from overseas to an empty house on a dark and stormy night. You must walk around the home examining notes, letters, and journal entries to try and determine what has happened to your family. As always, we do like to give a spoiler warning at the start of the show, but honestly... This game is still pretty enjoyable, even with all of its secrets revealed, so I I would recommend that you go play the game. But if you are still determined to, you know, listen to the episode because you can't get enough of us, please go ahead and do so, and maybe you'll want to play it after. Uh, it's, It's really something special and unique. Mike, you played it for the episode. What did you think of Gone Home? It's it's a short game. It's yes. I I thought it was going to be longer, and I was really worried because I just started it this weekend, and I I was thinking I was going to have another situation where I have to stay up all night playing, <laughs> but uh, thankfully uh, not. And it was it was also a lot less scary than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> Part of it is because this game operates under the guise of being a horror game. And mm-hmm. there is this like rising tension that happens from like the very, cause you know, you're, so you're this girl. It's like, you're coming home into this empty house. The, the title screen is like this big Luigi's mansion, like spooky <laughs> house looking thing. Uh, and, and you know, so it sets up this, this ambiance of like, Ooh, what's going to happen? And, you know, you it has a very escape room kind of feel, like if anyone yeah, has ever done very those true. escape rooms where you have to, like, find clues and stuff like that. And so I think that makes the game sort of this horror red herring because there's no spooky bits. And every time you come to something that's, like, a little bit spooky, it sort of, like, diffuses it with this very emotional, heartfelt monologue throughout the entire game that is then revealed to be... Uh, I mean, we're gonna we're spoiling stuff, but it's, oh, we're spoiling. Yeah, so it's revealed to be the the journal at the end, the very end of the game. So 
I, it's funny. It reminded me so much of this game that uh, my roommate was playing called, uh, oh God, I'm forgetting. That. It's What what Remains of Edith Finch. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So I think that this feels, Gone Home feels a lot like a precursor to that game, which I think is newer. It is. Yes. Um, but yeah. Over, overall, I really liked it. Cool. Mackenzie, what did you think of Gone Home? Uh, I'd played Gone Home once like several years ago and already really, really liked it. Uh, replaying it was really interesting because it had been like a really long time. I, it's, I think, a really good comparison to make to an escape room, but I really wish the twist in more escape rooms wasn't, you're being chased by a murderer, but actually it was sad lesbians. <laughs> <laughs> the scariest thing of all is heteronormativity. <laughs> the scariest thing at all is your father is, might be a conspiracy theorist. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, with the JFK books. And kind of a homophobe. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think the terrifying thing is that your loved ones might go join the military. <laughs> That's also, yeah, a genuinely horrifying experience. <laughs> Though Gone Home is short, but in the sense that it does everything it needs to in the time that it has. And also you can spend different amounts of time playing it, but you can, no matter what, basically get through Gone Home in an afternoon if you just want to sit with it. And I think... There's a lot of emphasis on games being like big, long adventures or there's like definitely a space for like a small experience like that and getting like the complete one two punch out of everything in like three hours tops. The mm. fact that there's gone home speed runs on YouTube makes me very happy. There is a there is an <laughs> achievement in gone home, at least on the PlayStation for beating the game in like under three I minutes because you can like glitch through some geography if you want to and get through it really fast. <laughs> I, I think it was on the Xbox. I think it was even one minute. Yeah, it's something ridiculously low like that, because technically speaking and this was a thing I kind of struggled with in replaying it. You can go to the end of the game the second you walk into the house. It's one of those. You can just go to the last scene if you want to, but it kind of eliminates the entire point of the game if you know that. Wait, hold, hold on. How? 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 Because you have to get the attic key. If you know where to get the things, it's really quick to get them. But the attic key is just in the stairwell nook in the front entryway. All you have to do is go in there. And then go to the attic. Oh, shoot. You're totally right. Yeah. And you know what's funny is that I was playing through the game and we got about halfway through and my partner, he, he was setting up the uh, Wi-Fi extender. So the internet, I, I didn't realize that it, apparently Gone Home needs internet to be active. Really? And so the game like closed midway through and we're just like, oh my God, like, did it save? And it didn't save anything. Oh, but no. But then we actually did basically do like a speed run through the game because we're just like, okay, we got, <laughs> you know, we got this, we got that, we got, we got the journal, we got the locker, okay, we'll go through it. And we did catch back up like in a matter of, yeah, minutes. Gone Home is the game version of the friends we made along the way. <laughs> I mean, I'm not sure whether I'm supposed to make a gay speed walking joke here or a joke <laughs> about lesbians moving in too quickly with each other. No, <laughs> I was going to make that joke later. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, I took it from I was, I was like, oh, I'm all, I'm all teed up for my, for my gay speed walking joke. And before anybody gets on the speed of the walking, I think the speed that you walk in and gone home is perfectly fine. I think if you were allowed to run, it would eliminate your ability to find stuff because the game is also really dark. There is a fantastic video from Polygon where they rank walking simulators based on the simulation of the walking. Yes, this is my exact thought. <laughs> That's it an amazing is metric. So good. It measures proper gait, whether you have a corporeal form, whether 
whether there's a run button. It's wonderful. Very informative. <laughs> well, we are going to get to other walking simulators later, but I do oh, want to focus on Gone Home a little more first. Um, Matt, what was your experience with Gone Home? Like, as I, I know, because I was sitting there watching you play it, which was actually kind of a weird inversion for us. Yeah. I got you into video games and you were backseat gaming everything that I did. I think this was the first game... Where no, I no. no, it wasn't. So you got me into gaming through walking simulators. I had been a, a good backseat gamer until then, but the first one that you actually got me playing was Payne's Creek Killings. Oh, I guess that's true. Which is like a walking simulator detective game where you've got a whole town full of houses to search through and you're looking for clues to figure out who committed this murder and everything. Because you knew I was into true crime podcasts. It's a a whodunit. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's this small town where there was a bunch of murders that were committed. And because so many murders happened, everyone up and just left the town because they thought it was either haunted or there was a serial killer or, you know, what what was the answer. But uh, you get to sort of explore an entire town's worth instead of one home. And it's it's a bit different from Gone Home in the sense that, like, it has a bit more of that sort of defined end goal. The core engagement really is the the discovery and the piecing together of clues rather than just learning about the characters. Yeah. But you worked backwards with me of like, okay, if you liked this, let's try Gone Home. Let's try Firewatch, that kind of stuff. Yeah, that is true. That's I forgot that's where we started. Gone Home is definitely more one-to-one with Firewatch than I think anything else I've ever seen because it's got a very similar like red herring vibe. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that is very true. you're playing this thing and it's like trying to convince you that something's going on. But no, it's, it's just humans being stupid at the end of the day, nine times out of 10. Because it wasn't you who was talking about uh, if you have a game and there are no stupid people, you need to flesh it out a little <laughs> no, bit that more. Was, that was Kaya. That <laughs> was Kaya. Oh, that was Kaya. No, but I agree I... with this point. <laughs> it's tea. It really is. What It sounds like the core fantasy in that one is like you're, you're a detective, right? Which I, uh, uh, no, I really like. So this is different from the Payne's Creek killing ones that I just talked about. So Firewatch is actually, uh, you are a fire ranger in a national park in the 80s. It's not spoiling anything to say that in the first five minutes, it tells you that you got into a relationship with a woman, you got married, and then she developed early onset dementia, and your character, Henry, kind of couldn't deal and just decided to get a job in the middle of nowhere because he couldn't deal with her. He, he didn't know how to handle someone with a disability or, you know, losing the personality of someone you care about um, while their physical body is still there. He just didn't know what to do so he got a job in the middle of nowhere so he wouldn't have to deal with it it's it's not a happy experience yeah that sounds, that that sounds like a tragic uh like premise to a story it doesn't get much less tragic to be honest <laughs> yeah. yeah they ramp up the track it just gets other people involved it's still so compelling and you're a, you're like a firefighter in the game like what is so there's like a district manager of the fire rangers i don't know how to describe delilah but she's like managing your management so no there is another person who's managing you and several other fire lookout towers um and your entire experience is exploring your region that you're responsible for and talking over the radio with delilah this person who's your supervisor but suddenly things start going wrong some teenagers who were camping in your area go missing and your fire lookout tower gets vandalized. You have to start investigating the mysteries of what's going on in this area. It's uh, it's another walking simulator, like on home. Um, it's really compelling, though. I, I, if you, Anyone at home, if you haven't played it, really go check it out. A lot of people are disappointed by the ending, but I, I think that they're... 
I don't want to say wrong. In a but... similar way to Gone Home, it does the subverting of expectations thing. Yeah, but, very like, much It builds so. you up and then drops you on your ass. Yeah. I think very few games, like in general, try to deal with the kind of like complicated, not happy stories that a lot of walking simulators deal with. And so sometimes people will go into these experiences kind of expecting a different story than they're going to get, even though there's like a long history in this genre of subverting expectations or making stories that don't really end in ways that are traditionally narratively satisfying. Mike, you were mentioning uh, the sort of horror aspect of it uh, that came up. How did you guys feel about that? Like, did you feel like it was a good twist or did you enjoy sort of the tension that that was creating? Yeah, I mean, I enjoyed it. I, I'm a kind of a wuss, so I invited friends over and my roommate was there. And so anytime it got a little spooky, I'd hand the controller off and just be like, okay, you you go now. <laughs> uh, but I enjoyed it quite a bit. Mackenzie, do you, are you a big fan of horror yourself? or I have only recently been like, exposing myself to horror as like a genre i have an anxiety disorder and i have had one since i was like six i'm convinced so i was just an easily traumatized child and i didn't bother until recently (laughs) but i think horror has a really interesting potential as a genre to like help tell very personal stories so like introducing it as if it's going to be that kind of an exploration of character and then just shifting it like one to the left is like actually really effective way of getting you to like kind of compare like the actual struggles this person is facing with what you like expected them to be facing when they entered the like game space. Mm -hmm. I think it also does this really cool thing of like putting you in Sam's headspace because you are already so uncomfortable in the home and you feel like you're walking on eggshells as the floorboards creak and everything, which Feels very much like what my closet experience was. Yeah. It's also telling how many uh, of the very important story beats you find in closets. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How did you guys feel about the sort of the family dynamics? Do you feel like it was trying to say something about queerness, about the fact that, you know, this family is super dysfunctional? Like, I think it's kind of telling that your character has not come home for several years to visit. Well, they haven't been here for one year. Oh, really? I thought it was longer. No, in the game, your character has gone. I think not long after graduating from high school on a one year Europe trip, exactly one year. Oh, and okay. like your character is very much the golden child clearly and always was even before they found out that their other daughter was a lesbian and disappointing to them. Mm-hmm. You, you find stuff littered around of all of your accomplishments, but Sam has clearly been like Living always in the seen as the second fiddle. Yeah. yeah. Do do you guys feel like that's uh, an interesting sort of queer experience, you know, having to live up to your siblings or trying to work within a family that is already kind of breaking? It seems like there was never really a point in this family's history where everything was working the way they all said it was. Mm, Like, there is a, like, perfect photograph of this smiling, happy family in the entryway and just evidence littered around that... Your father hasn't been, like, doing anything that is, like, vaguely useful or effective in years, and your mom's been cheating on him with Rick, the guy who's coming to help the Forest Service, and that's another weird coincidence between this and Firewatch, is that there's an entire subplot about being, like, a worker for a public park service, which I think is interesting. But the parents in this, you don't get a lot of the reaction that they had to their daughter coming out, but you get enough to sense that, like... 
they are incredible hypocrites. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that Sam is a, a million times better writer than her father is, is evident in every single piece of writing you find. <laughs> That's very true. Do you guys feel like that played into her not being able to talk about her queerness with her family? Like, do you feel like they were going to sweep everything under the rug anyway? To me, it just seemed like when you're a teenager and, you know, you're of that age, you don't really want to be super involved with your family. Yeah, Like, nothing spoke to me being like, oh, there's, like, clearly some sort of great divide. It was just that when you're an adolescent and you're and you're trying to become your own person, you're trying to develop your own identity, become your own self. I think that part of it is that you've been a subsidiary of your parents for so long that when you reach that stage, it's like, I need to be my own person on my own and develop my own feelings for men or women or whatever it is. And that, that it typically exists in a realm outside of your parents' purview. But it didn't seem like this family was excessively dysfunctional. It just seemed very like classic family dynamics like they're, mm-hmm. they just all seemed like very vivid characters that were all living their own lives uh it didn't seem like there was any conflict or strife to me it just seemed like yeah these were people living their own separate lives under one roof yeah so i'm curious travis like what what made you feel like this family was excessively dysfunctional because i i didn't get that read at all like on on the situation I, don't know. I just didn't really get any sense of any kind of love between any of the characters other than the sister looking up to her sort of, I mean, you know, obviously living in her shadow as well, but um, the dad is a really struggling writer whose father does not respect him. Mom is clearly cheating. The uncle uh, closed his pharmacy because of, you know, dark secrets, which I've seen different interpretations of online. Some of them think that it was pedophilia. Some of them think that it was an opiate addiction. Oh, yeah, he owned a drugstore, right? So. Yeah, so it just seemed like everybody not only had problems, but also they didn't really seem to be woven in with any kind of care for each other. Yeah, but we didn't meet the characters. The house was empty. Like, it was a vacant but house. But you can like, tell that they're hiding a lot from each other, from being the, in uh, there. Hold on. That's no more than any other person on this planet living their own life with their own secrets. And it doesn't mean that those characters love each other any less because it was all about those characters as individuals, but not about anything to do with them as a family unit or uh, interacting with one another with with a few exceptions here and there, but I, not, not, nothing significant. And I think that the the narrative was mostly just focused on the protagonist and like the other characters were lines running parallel in terms of narrative. Yeah, ships passing in the night. Yeah, ships passing in the night. But, you know, I think that if we met the characters, if they were present in the house, then it, you would, it would seem very much like a regular family household. I, cause, I mean, you, know, you could make the argument then that the game is kind of trying to say something about how the standard operating family is one that keeps these kind of secrets from each other and that mm-hmm. the communication is very strained and that none of them really are themselves around even their own family, especially in the sense that, like, don't ask, don't tell is specifically brought up. Mm -hmm. They are not very well connected to the point where their daughter can be gone an entire year and nobody's there for her. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. That's very true. (laughs) You know, it's a a critique of cis-heteronormative marriages that are built on a premise of lies and then result in children that are not really cared for. And, you know... Mm -hmm. 
Uh, go off, that, Mackenzie. That's a, that's a deep off. cut. I, I don't know if I can get on board with that. And I say this coming from like a very, very good family. I'm critiquing everyone else's <laughs> lives, not my own. <laughs> and what I like about it, too, is that it feels like how it was presented from the start was that Sam is disconnected from the family by her queerness. But as you go on, the more you learn about the parents... You're like, oh, oh, they're all disconnected from each other. It has nothing to do with specifically queerness. Mm-hmm. I think it's also really interesting that they could have set this in the modern time and have them be like disconnected by technology because that's a mm-hmm. thing that everybody likes doing right now. But they're very distinctly like, no, part of the reason all of this is garbage is because it's the 90s and nobody can just freaking call each other. Yep. <laughs> Yeah, why, why do we think that they said it in the 90s? Like, why do you think it was just to play into the horror aspect of like, hey, why don't you just text mom kind of thing? Or do you feel like there was more of a thought there as to why they wanted to have it like very specifically in the middle of the 90s? I mean, the most interesting part of the time for me is how the characters tie themselves to these like generational markers. Sam is so 90s riot girl, that specific moment of feminism and of gay rights and everything and the father is tied to this point in his youth of 1963 and the kennedy assassination uh when all the shit went down with his uncle and he's still so focused on that time Mm -hmm. that like part of how they're disconnected is that it doesn't even feel like they're living in the same moments yeah no that's very true like it it seemed to me that the 90s like was a turning point for gay acceptance with the popularization of things like ellen and stuff like that and also i feel like it was this weird time for uh, the dad being an electronics reviewer is really interesting to me oh my god that laser disc ad was so funny yes <laughs> right it's really interesting to me. it's almost like this idea of like obsolescence or changing of the times kind of thing mm-hmm. that he can't really seem to get with i don't know i really like that i thought that was fascinating yeah I think another thing about the 90s is that they managed to write homophobic characters that you completely disagree with, but also that you sort of understand. Like, if they had said it any later, it would have been, okay, come on, we know gay kids exist, this is happening. Whereas in the 90s, sure, they're not doing the right thing, but I understand that like this is how they were raised and mm-hmm. you've got stuff like the dad's secrets with the uncle and everything impacting it too. Mm-hmm. It's like when you go back and you rewatch Friends, the TV show, mm-hmm. and like some of the jokes, like they really didn't age well, mm-hmm. but you're kind of just like, oh, well, it's a, it's a product of its time. Yeah. So I think that making something like this contextualizes the characters. It contextualizes the struggle with queerness and identity. And I think Travis, you made a really good point of saying like, this was a time when don't ask, don't tell was very much a real policy. Uh, actually, what, what is the deal with don't ask, don't tell? I think that was, a, that was a, repealed in the Obama era. Okay. That did happen. I just wanted to make sure I wasn't, I wasn't making up history. Like I so often do. Um, <laughs> you mean like with the JFK assassination? <laughs> Yeah, you know, <laughs> Berenstein Bears, Berenstein, whatever. Um, <laughs> yeah, I just feel like it helps contextualize the characters. There is this lack of connectivity. There's this lack of, like, understanding. It's the kind of story that works well with the 90s. Also, really great excuse to showcase the Super Nintendo yeah. and VHS uh, stuff. So I think that that is fun. If that did feel like a lot like my childhood going through all of the VHS tapes and being like, ah. Uh... 
They stole all of these. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I like the uh, the posted on the corkboard or something where it's like uh, like your friend called for the Nintendo game and then they also talked about like beating each other in Street Fighter and I was like yeah this is I this I job with this I, I think those. the thing about the, the exact year is 1995 which is also the year I was born which is funny oh but I think it's like the earliest point where Sam would reasonably have come into her own as like knowing she was a lesbian and not like having like a complete horrifying existential breakdown about it throughout <laughs> yeah. the game. Yep. Like it is the earliest point where she could realize she was gay when she watched She-Ra as a child and be like, not constantly worried about that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But it's also before the internet would have made it. So she just would have found a like gay forum somewhere yeah. and like had friends, but also it's three years before Matthew Shepard. So there's no need to imply all of this. Like everybody relates gayness with like horrible tragedy necessarily. Yeah, like that, that was a really major reigniting move in the nineties for like, how people were viewing gay people. And I think having it before that is kind of important if you want to be telling this kind of story. No, it's very true. It's very true. So we, we've actually been dancing around this term a lot, walking simulator. Uh, Mike, have you ever heard the term before? No, you know what? This is sort of my first introduction to it. I feel like the core fantasy is being able to walk. <laughs> so is this, was this like a genre? Well, <laughs> walking sim is like the rare genre name that was like a reappropriated genre name slur. It doesn't have a lot of panache. I'm just going to say that right now. <laughs> like if, you, if I was trying to pitch that to a non-gamer and I'd be like, hey, do you want to play this game where you, you get to walk? And they'd be like, um, I, I mean, I don't know. Like SimCity, I get like, you know, the Sim. Like It feels Sim. like it would have fit better with Gone Home style game. It's one of those game genres that is based around how close is it to this originator of the genre? Like Souls-like or Metroidvania yeah, or... Exactly. We're really bad at doing genres. And this is one of the rare cases where like there's not a defined list of like traits that this genre has that if it fits into that, it's a walking simulator. It It is much more about like how much does this feel like Gone Home or Dear Esther? Well, yeah. the reason for that largely is because Walking Simulator as a name was just an, kind of originated as an insult against video games that weren't considered video gamey enough to be real games. And so instead of being games, they were walking simulators. So it's weird that it is the genre designation that people like intentionally use now because it's not it's not like a self-chosen it's, it's like a slur. Yeah, it's like a it's like a video game yeah. genre slur that has been like accepted <laughs> as the name. You got limited mechanics. You're you're just a walking sim. And similar to the queer community, it's become so reclaimed because the alternative is just too fucking long to say most of the time. Yeah, we use queer because we can't s spell the whole alphabet soup. We use walking simulator because immersive first person narrative experience doesn't roll off the tongue nicely. Yeah, that's a mouthful. Yeah, agreed. And it's just kind of interesting because we're so bad at genres in video games. Like, it, genre is already a really nebulous concept in other media, but specifically with video games, uh, sometimes it's around your core engagement, sometimes it is around the mechanics, sometimes it's around the themes and aesthetics. Like, P Portal, for instance, is my favorite uh, example to go to. What is Portal? Because if you're going by mechanics, it's a first-person shooter. But that tells you nothing about what Portal actually is or does for you as a player. You do have a gun. You are in the first person perspective. You are firing the gun to accomplish your goals. But 
it's not Call of Duty by any stretch of the imagination. Mm-hmm. It's nothing like that. And I would argue that walking simulators have another like weird political dimension of that, where like the Stanley Parable is less often talked about when it comes to walking simulators, despite it being still fairly well known, because it doesn't contain any of this like PC cuckoldry, as they would say. <laughs> That it it is built for people who play video games already and know the conventions so that it can subvert them. Mike, have you ever played Stanley hold, hold Parable? The, hold the phone. Matt, what was that word you just used like 30 seconds ago? PC cuckoldry. Cuckoldry. <laughs> oh my, I love that so much. Can I use that? So, can I, yeah, oh, it's, it's, I'll, I'll it's not mine. It. It's the right wing trolls. I'm just reappropriating it. Oh, really? Is it? Oh, I don't know. I don't want to bring. Okay. Sorry. I didn't mean to detract, but yeah, I have. No, I have not. Travis, to answer your question, no. Uh, Stanley Parable is um, another sort of in the walking sim genre, uh, but it is uh, such an unbelievably meta commentary on games themselves and the idea of like, player choice in games, player agency, and uh, authorial intent, and things like that. I mean, the Stanley Parable is kind of in its own ass in a completely different way. (laughs) Yes, it's very true. Oh, pretentious. Pretentious is the word I was looking for. Whereas I think a lot of, like, non-PC SJW cucks or whatever (laughs) find Gone Home to be like pretentious about being queer the stanley parable if it's brought up is either beloved because it's pretentious about video game stuff instead or hated because it is also trying to look at video games as an art form and people don't like that oh i did play this game actually yes and it was very meta and very good i think it was it's a steam game isn't it like i bought i think i played it on on a pc yeah so it's just another one in the genre and it's one that seems to be very well accepted by the community whereas other ones like firewatch and gone home seem to have a little more derision attached to them uh which is interesting right um it's not Mm -hmm. lost on me that uh walking simulators tend to have a bigger queer following and uh tend to have more queer characters at least from my perspective um why do you guys think that is like do you think it's just because gone home sort of originated the genre or do you think there's other things about it that seem to attract queer players uh mckenzie the point that i come back to is that it is true of basically any video game type that is like narrative over mechanic focused that it seems to be more likely to have any queer people in general Mm -hmm. if there is like a focus on the content and the characters and the story a little bit more so than the running and gunning then there's more queer people kind of in the same way it is with cinema right like there's more gay independent dramas about like growing up than there are gay action movies where lesbians like shoot guns and kill people unfortunately deeply unfortunately get Charlize Theron on the phone please yes (laughs) we have Debs but like that was so long ago and we need more I love Debs Uh, (laughs) I got to see Angela Robinson's uh, newer movie premiere at TIFF when it released, and I was just, like, in gay heaven. Anyways, um, <laughs> we'll talk about that some other time. The point being that... You'll, ta- you'll talk about gay heaven another time? Yeah, yeah. if you want me to, I can go on... I, I can go on a tirade about that, but my point being that I think it's a, like, narrative versus mechanics focus that often results in a lot of queer characters, but also 
I feel like a lot of walking sims are a lot more introspective in general. And if you're going mm -hmm. to be doing that, there's a lot less point in doing it about the same like sad white guys who already get all of the attention. <laughs> yeah. Like you got to go somewhere else. And I think specifically the walking simulator is built to look at people's secret stories and like what they hold behind closed doors. Ah, oh, that's very true. So specifically there's a queer focus to that of like finding out what everyone else is hiding because you know what you're hiding. That's a really good point, man. I hadn't thought of that. To me, it's just sort of always read as challenging the normativity of something. Like Gone Home challenged what a game was because that's what the response was. Clearly people were saying it's not even a real game mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. it didn't have, you know, a certain set of mechanics or things like that. And I feel that it maps really well onto queerness. This idea of challenging heteronormativity and challenging things like monogamy or things like that, that whatever is the accepted standard of the community that it's in, that queer people will tend by nature to push those boundaries of what's acceptable yeah. and what is tolerable. And even on a less academic level, I think whenever I hear a bunch of straight gamer bros being like, uh, this thing isn't for me, my ears instantly perk up because I'm like, oh, oh, then maybe it's interesting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Also, I mean, it's always worth noting that a walking simulator might be a little bit cheaper to make than a lot of other big game genres. And so people who don't always have the same resources to make whatever story they want can make it in a walking sim when they might not like be able to do it in like, I don't know, an open world RPG adventure or whatever. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I feel like because of the lower threshold, there's less barriers to enter the gaming space. Um, in making a walking sim, I think that that increases the accessibility for off-the-beaten-path narratives. Yeah, there's not a really a skill required because video games are an interesting medium in that depending on the game you're playing, you might have to have a certain skill level in order to be able to enjoy the art. Like, I can look at pretty paintings or pretty dances and not know a damn thing about them. I have no idea how to paint. I am a terrible dancer, but I can look at those things and appreciate them probably on a different level than someone who is skilled in them, but I can still like and enjoy them. But when it comes to video games, you, for some games, have to have a certain level of skill or you can't progress in the story. You don't get to see the rest of it. And with a walking simulator, there is a really low barrier to entry, as you said. So, so that's a great point. Uh, you're talking about on the player side. I, I was talking about like on the creating end of it. Yeah, no, I was just sort of like expanding from there. <laughs> oh, I see, And I would, I see, I would also say too that like... If the game has a queer character, it's more likely to get called a walking simulator, too. Yeah. This is the line between the, like, mystery and walking simulator genres is really a blurry one that is largely dependent on the themes that people are, like, exploring rather than the, like, actual gameplay. The games that are character-focused get called walking simulators, and the ones that are in some way more focused on a mechanic, like I'm thinking of Return of the Obra Din. It could have easily been called a walking simulator, but because it doesn't focus on character through lines as much and developing people like that, it doesn't get called a walking simulator. It gets called like a detective game or something like that. Yeah, it is interesting to see like how much of the experience of a walking sim still works its way into other genres as well. Like you'll see any of the System Shock style games like Bioshock or Prey kind of have that feeling of a walking sim in some loops of their gameplay. Like you are listening to audio logs, trying to piece together what happened in an area that has been cleared out and you are coming there after the fact and, you know, just trying to piece things together. But 
a walking simulator seems to have boiled it down to just that core gameplay loop as opposed to adding in other mechanics. I think there's also something about how the walking simulator is in the uncanny valley of a game. It specifically has to look gamey enough in a gameplay trailer to lure in straight men and then disappoint them. I think that's fair, though, because so many times... I've been lured in by a straight man disappointed. So I like to know that that paradigm can sometimes flip around. True. Whereas I played a a game from theitch.io racial justice bundle, which I highly recommend called A Normal Lost Phone. Oh, yes. Those are great games. Oh, I love them. I would highly recommend them. And the core gameplay loop is very similar to a walking sim in that you are going through the texts of this phone trying to piece together what happened rather than walking. But because it looks like a tiny game you would play on your phone, it doesn't get lumped in with other walking simulators because straight men can dismiss it easily. Yeah. I also think one of the things I like about walking simulators is you mentioned the uncanny valley, I guess sort of how real they feel as a person. Mm-hmm. Not that the environments or anything are necessarily photorealistic, but more the feeling of it feels more similar to something I'm going to experience. You know, as I introduced the episode, I don't have Max's time-bending powers. I am not a murderous sociopath like Joel. I don't have biotic powers like Shepard. But I can see myself in these characters in a really real way. And it's not so much a power fantasy. Like, in fact, with Firewatch, um, without spoiling anything for anyone who hasn't played it, but when you're leaving the camp at Wapiti, I felt so vulnerable because I'm just walking. I have no combat. I have no way of defending myself. But someone out there is watching me and I'm in danger and uh, oh my god what do I do like I felt scared in a way that not many games really could make me feel because I knew that well you know if I mess up the stealth section I'll just you know pull out some combat I've, I've been hoarding weapons and ammo I'll be fine what's interesting about Firewatch in the context of all of this is that I feel like it's a good proof that there's something mechanical with these games that lures in queer people and women and other minoritized groups because it, it, you could say that Gone Home set people up to expect gay content in these things and that's why there's gay people uh, flocking to walking sims. But even Firewatch that doesn't have gay content is still so much about gender and gender roles, gender expectations. Like all of these themes still work their way in even without an explicit, like, queer main character. Mm-hmm. Well, that is true. Matt, as our resident expert on uh, walking simulators, because I know you love them, is mm. there any other walking sims that you'd want to share with our, our listeners, things that they might want to check out on their own? What Remains of Edith Finch? Mike, Mike mentioned it uh, earlier in the episode. Fully mm-hmm. recommend that. That was another one that stirred up controversy because it had a $20 price tag and the playtime was, like, four hours. And people were like, rah, rah, money, rah, rah. Okay, guys. (laughs) Portal was only a couple hours, and no one seems to mind paying, you know, 10 to 20 bucks for that. Yup. It's almost like there's external factors. I mean, it's a a cost-value ratio, right? Like, you kind of have to feel like you're getting the most out of it. At the same time, so I, I felt like I got. But I, my... like what what I like about what remains of Edith Finch is that it tells its story through these like flashback vignette things, 
And each vignette has a completely different set of mechanics, different uh, art style, different tone. You are getting so much variety and so much like densely packed, interesting stuff in it that it's hard for me to imagine not thinking it's worth twenty dollars. Yeah. No, All right. That's... Well, I'm sold. Take here, Matt. Take take my money here. <laughs> <laughs> okay. The, the, my my selling point for it is that at one point you are playing the story of someone like dissociating at work and just living a, a whole life in daydream. Oh, that's so relatable. <laughs> and your right joystick is controlling their mechanical movements at the factory as they go about like their rote repetitive duties. And then the other stick is pushing their character through like a their dream world and you are pushing that experience forward at the same time. That's like it's cool. a it's a split screen effect that like you're having to control two versions of the character at once. In like a multiverse kind of way, like an A story and a B story. Yeah, like there's no other medium that can tell this story. Uh, Matt, was there any other Walking Sims? Like, I, I, I'm leading you here because I'm trying to get you to say a specific one. Oh. <laughs> All right, we're, go, Matt, say it. Say the thing. Say the, <laughs> it's the thing that are Travis you, wants you to say. Are you thinking Tacoma? I am thinking Tacoma. Okay. I want you to talk about <laughs> Tacoma. Good, good. Um, <laughs> so, you can just ask Tacoma him. is the follow-up, right? From this company? Yep. This is the sad, sad tale of Tacoma was that Gone Home became pretty decently popular because there was so much backlash and news articles and discourse around it that when Tacoma, their follow-up came up, it sold like one or 2% as many copies, despite being like, in my opinion, the more refined, more focused version of Gone Home's mechanics. Interesting. I mean, it is their second game, right? So I feel like they had yeah. time to sort of refine it. Like, um, you know, we talked about that with, uh, oh my gosh, why am I spacing? Time bending. Oh, uh, Life is Strange. Life is Strange, yeah. From Remember Me. Yeah, yeah, because that was their, and then the Life is Strange came around, it was a more refined version, but you're saying it's, it wasn't as popular as Gone Home? Yeah, because it just didn't have the discourse floating around it to keep its name in the presses. Oh, gotta have that buzz. I, I do like Gone Home generally, but it didn't quite work for me, and this addressed so many of the problems I had directly that, like, the the voice acting feels a bit more natural and the writing has streamlined itself a bit more the world has a bit more variety the books on the shelves and everything to tell you more about specific characters they're not all just jfk related no sadly <laughs> I, I i still do want to read that jfk conspiracy book <laughs> but you said uh, you felt like it was the voice acting was more natural i i was very pleased with the quality of voice acting of the of the main narrator protagonist she was great okay in, in my opinion in my humble opinion it's less that the acting was bad it was more that like it felt awkward to have the reading out of the the journals to explain to mike in tacoma you're not listening to people talk to themselves that you're listening in on conversations that were already recorded so it's not this sort of soliloquizing monologue that you're used to hearing from Gone Home. It, it's more natural sounding. Ah, I so I think maybe that's what appealed to Matt more. Yeah. yeah, definitely Gone Home was, I mean, you're right. It was one very long soliloquy. It was good though. Uh, I do think, unfortunately, we are running out of time. We do need to keep this short. Uh, before we go today, I do want to ask everyone, hey, Mike, what you playing? I, I don't know. There's a ve- There's a void. I think I might try to... Get back on the Final Fantasy train, because uh, I think uh, I think we're going to do an episode of that in the future, right? Yeah, we are. We are two episodes away. We're going to be doing Final Fantasy VII Remake. Oh, my, oh boy. All right. my partner's super looking forward to hearing you guys take on that. So excited. <laughs> 
Matt, I know what you've been playing, but why don't you share it with our listeners? What you playing? Recently finished Tacoma. I recommend to everyone who even a little bit liked Gone Home, play Tacoma. Please. That game deserves so much better than to sit in the back of some Steam libraries. After that, I've been playing Feather, which is literally just a little birdie flight simulator, essentially. You just play as like a little crow flying around an island. It's very peaceful. Nice. That's awesome. What about you, Mackenzie? What you playing? As always, I'm continuously on my Animal Crossing grind because I have (laughs) no life. The Pokemon DLC also dropped not too long ago, so I've been tucking in and out of that as it goes. Today, after this, I'm going to the mall and I'm picking up my pre-order for the new uh, Story of Seasons Harvest Moon game, though, because I'm incredibly predictable. Yes, love it. You have to tell us how it is. So it's a remake of one of the older ones, but they're letting you be gay this time, so I can finally live out yes, my childhood dreams of like dating the cute girls in that game, and I'm very excited. Good. Awesome. Uh, how about you, Travis? What's your plan? I'm actually doing a replay of Kingdom Hearts 3. Um, he still screams at everything in it, like a little, little schoolgirl. It makes me so happy. <laughs> I, <sighs> I still haven't played it. I need to finish Dream Dream. Oh, I, you, do you? Because, like, that one's weird. <laughs> I told myself I was going to play all of them before I played three, but the more I'm like trying to play Dream Drop, the more I'm like, I just want to play three. (laughs) Okay, so I am a diehard Kingdom Hearts stan. I love that series. I am unhealthily obsessed with it, as Matt can uh, can attest to. It's good trash. (laughs) It is. But when they introduce time travel, like I'm like, I kept telling everyone how it wasn't that complicated, guys. (laughs) I was telling them that the story was easy to follow if you just played. Now you introduce time travel. None of this shit makes sense anymore. <laughs> like, goddamn. So, Dream Drop, thank you for adding that into the series. Thanks. So excited about that. But I still love Kingdom Hearts 3. It makes me so happy. Um, I love it. Is it bad that the addition of time travel makes me want to play it more? <laughs> you say that. <laughs> Dream Drop is weird. I love time travel stories. I do. I don't know. I mean, I would love to do a Kingdom Hearts episode. So, Mike, if you want to play it, go for it. Yeah, I, I might be down, actually. Okay. All right. Well, I think that's a good place to leave it for today. Uh, Matt, thank you so much for joining us again. We love having you come out and join Mike and I. Mm-hmm. Anytime. Mike, so good to have you back on the podcast again. It's good to be back. Yes. And Mackenzie, thank you so much for joining us to talk about Gone Home and other walking sims today. Uh, why don't you tell us where we can find you online? Yes. So uh, you're going to find me the quickest at Kenzie Phoenix on Twitter. And then I've got a number of podcasts running right now. Uh, probably the most prevalent is we just dropped a new episode of Video Game the Movie, the podcast about Laura Croft Tomb Raider. So <laughs> yes. if you want to listen to some nerds talk about that for a bit, that can be uh, arranged quite easily. It's on all of the things where podcasts live. I love that podcast. Uh, and you have another podcast as well, right? Yes. Uh, the Rainbow Connection. We talk about uh, Muppets stuff. Stuff stuff that Muppets are in. God, you're so on your podcast grind. <laughs> I'm doing my best. Uh, we're supposed to be doing a Dark Crystal episode soon, but I can't guarantee that I'm going to get that done soon because... We were going to watch it the weekend. My cat decided to eat an entire like roll of fabric and get its stomach pumped. Oh, no. <laughs> okay, well, I hope he feels better He's soon. okay now. Okay, good. <laughs> He's back to being an asshole. What's his name? Tombo. Oh, <laughs> love it. Okay, well, thank you so much for joining us, everyone. And we're going to call it for here. We will see you in two weeks when we discuss Dream Daddy. Thank you so much, everyone. And this has been Rainbow Road.
If you liked this episode, follow us on Twitter at Rainbow Road Pod or get in touch with us for future episodes at RainbowRoadPodcast at gmail.com. And a big thank you to all of our guests today and our producer, Matt Kennar. Thanks for listening to Rainbow Road. <laughs>